Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brad Miller, and this is the Chronically Human podcast, where we have discussions aimed at creating a better world with more freedom and less suffering. Today, my guest is Ed Coglin, journalist and editor of the National Pain Report. He tells the story about how people in pain are being affected by the opioid crisis. During our conversation, we cover the political and personal side of pain in America and also how people in pain are being denied treatment or they're being given less treatment than they need because of the hysteria surrounding opioids. During our conversation, we also talk about the disturbing trend of people with undertreated pain contemplating or completing suicide. If you are struggling, please reach out to friends and family or contact SamaritansHope.org, and you can call or text them at 1-877-870-4673. Pain will always be with us as a part of the human condition. The real question is, how will we help those who are suffering? Ed, thank you for being on the Chronically Human podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. Great uh, great to, to be with you, and also excited to, to talk about chronic pain and, and uh, the issues facing the folks who are suffering it. Excellent. Well, like I said before, uh, before we started, uh, it's a very personal issue for me. Um, I've had chronic pain for 30 years. Uh, when I was 11, I got diagnosed with a severe case of ulcerative colitis. Um, I had to have my colon completely removed. And ever since then, I've had 20 surgeries, 50 hospital stays, and, you know, hundreds of doctor's office visits. And so chronic pain uh, has been a part of my life for the last 30 years. Yeah, a story that's um, uh, repeated way too often. So thank you for your at- attention to it, and, and um, let's figure out what we can do to enlighten folks. Exactly, and that's what, what, what we're doing here today, having a great conversation about an important topic that a lot of people have forgotten about. Well, Ed, how did you get involved with the National Pain Report, and what exactly do you guys do? Well, I think um, the the National Pain Report really sort of uh, was almost born accidentally. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Google had put out a, um, uh, a a call for what they called citizen journalists, and the idea for Google obviously was to increase content, which was a big part of its business maybe ten years ago or so. And so, a friend of mine and I, both former news people, um, you know, started a site and just sort of wrote for our own amusement and uh, we sports or politics or something like that was some of the things that I was working on. I had worked for Boston Scientific as a consultant and they have a spinal cord stimulator and I got to know um, people in the, in, in the chronic pain world and, and uh, wrote a couple of stories on them and not, su- not surprisingly in, in, in hindsight, the, um, the, the clicks picked up immediately. Uh, people were very interested in it. Um, I had uh, I had back surgery when I was in my 30s and and have suffered off and on from lower back pain, although not by no means chronic, mm-hmm. but sort of had the, the the sympathy gene was working for that. And so we we I, I called a friend of mine and said, Do you think there's enough content in the pain world to sustain um, a, a website? And he wisely said, Oh, I think so. And uh, so that's kind of how it was born. And we, you know, like like a, like a newborn, it it learned to crawl and then it learned to walk. We sort of built it on on a, on a tripod, if you will, of three things. One is uh, news that is um, 
that is news. And so obviously the, the current opioid um, controversy has, has fueled uh, uh, that particular part of the business for the last several years. Uh, we also wanted to um, have a news you could use kind of thing, you know, tips, things that people have found that can work. And the third was to create a, a series of, of guest columnists who can opine on a variety of things that, that face them as chronic pain patients, as providers, as people in the industry, et cetera. And so that really has been, uh, that's kind of how we started and, and where we are today. And we've got a, a obviously a, a, a very good audience, a very loyal audience, a very noisy audience <laughs> that right. is, um, that is, um, uh, highly concerned about, about uh, what's going on with, uh, with the chronic pain, uh, environment that, uh, that all of us face today. Definitely. And uh, how long have you guys been in business? How long have you had the National Pain Report? I think we started in 2012. Um, and, I, and again, we sort of we sort of backed into it. So I, <laughs> I have to I have to go back and think. But I think there are stories that go back to 2012. And it's been a, a, a you know a, a daily. We try we try to put some fresh content up daily, and um, we've been doing that for you know several years now. Definitely. And it looks like that you've been, you've kind of caught the wave then of the opioid crisis where you saw it kind of start and get revved up. And now you've seen it really, in my opinion, spiral out of control. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think the opioid crisis has created certainly, um, I, I'm not sure that it's actually increased our audience much, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, but okay. I, but I think it is, it is certainly increased commentary on our, on our site, uh, much more because there are people, who are feeling um, abandoned, um, mm -hmm. afraid, um, left out, uh, et cetera, and and uh, we, we're finding that one of the one of the services we have is we let people vent a little bit, uh, and and uh, and they do, and we're glad for that, and we follow that, and we pay attention to it because it also helps inform other things that maybe we ought to be talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think that's important because you know I follow a lot of people on Twitter. And, you know, a lot of times it feels like you're, you're just yelling into an, uh, an abyss. You know, yep. you feel like you're alone, especially in pain. Pain is a signal that something's not right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if you're unable to relieve that pain, then I think that's a huge problem, not only for the individual, but also for society. Couldn't agree more. And, and we've got, uh, you know, we, we, uh, I, I think that the stories that we tell about individual pain patients, um, either like, like a story that we did just over the weekend on Fred and, and Vi Pfeiffer, who are folks that, um, uh, are, have been caught in the, in the, in that, uh, um, uh, whiplash, I guess, of, of, of the, of the opioid issue. And I'd like to talk, I'll talk more about that with you in a, in a second, but, sure. you know, I think their story really, really, uh, seemed to, to, to touch a nerve because it's, it's, it's a story that, so many people are experiencing uh, a person with uh, failed back surgery syndrome um, who's had eight operations and now is being forced to taper off her, her uh, opioid medication uh, and is powerless really to do anything about it. Um, that is the, that is the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the human tragedy or the, the, the human challenge, if in if perhaps even a tragedy that it, that is occurring. And then, then you have others that, that who can, who can find, who have found some way to manage their pain, um, either without opioids or, or in a highly reduced dose, 
And, uh, you know, I think that, that uh, hearing from all of those folks is important because I think uh, people need, you know, to, to <laughs> they, they need some inspiration um, right. as well as education mm-hmm. about what to do in these very trying times. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think an important for, point, what you talked about was that uh, that uh, Ms. Pfeiffer, Mrs. Pfeiffer, she was forced to taper. And I think that the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm doing the Chronically Human podcast is to help spread the word about individual freedom and involuntary transactions. And when you hear somebody who's forced to give up a medication that's helping them, I think that's a, a symptom of a of Kind of the broader issue in society where, uh, especially in healthcare, where we have less and less choice every day. Well, I think that, and I think that you, the very uh, title of your, uh, of your podcast, we're using the word chronic. I mean, it's not just chronic pain. It's, it's the, it's chronic illness. Mm-hmm. We're not, we right. as a healthcare system, the United States of America aren't very good at treating it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're good at, we're good at fixing a broken arm. We're good at, um, a, a bowel resection. Uh, we're good at uh, Achilles surgeries, but uh, uh, we're we're good at um, you know putting bypasses into 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 your cardiac area, but we're not good at treating chronic illness. Um, it, we're not because there's no fixing a chronic illness. There's really addressing and treating it. And people I've talked to uh, who who make that distinction think that the healthcare system is just failing the chronically ill, mm-hmm. and of course the chronic pain patient is primary among them. Right, exactly, and and I thought too with um, with the work that you're doing. Are you seeing? Uh, I had Dr. Klein on. I don't mm-hmm. know if you follow him, Dr. Thomas sure. Klein on Twitter. Sure. Um, he's I think doing an excellent job advocating for pain patients as well. Um, and he he was talking about how there, there's a really uptick in suicides, at least mm-hmm. uh, for chronic pain patients. Have you seen that as well? Well, there's. I think it's inarguable that that the suicide rate is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of the problem with the numbers has been that um, is is to is 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 the official statistics of why people are killing themselves. Right. But the answer the answer to your question is yes, mm-hmm. and and I, I I I see people literally on our in our commentary section, um, mm-hmm. and I and I and I just um, I I worry about whether they're going to last the day. Um, right. And and they talk about it very actively. And uh, in fact, I uh, a, a while back there was a there was a it was a guy. Uh, he was he was he only gave us his first name, and he essentially said, "I'm done." And uh, I wrote a story on it in a way to try to reach him. And you can't believe the commentaries that that came from people because um, I tried to reach him, he didn't respond. Mm-hmm. And um, the 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 folks who saw the story and responded to it. Were you know doing everything in their in their uh, 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 you know in their in their power I think to to try to uh, uh, encourage him to find you know a, another way to another way to to try to deal with this so so um, yeah no I I've, I've talked to enough people um, who follow this closely because I mean I'm not I'm not on the I'm not on the front lines of treatment by any stretch of the imagination right. I'm just a journalist mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, that that the that the suicide rate is is among chronic pain patients is almost certainly up, um, and I and as I said, I think that the sense of of isolation and and abandonment that you get from some of the audience of, of the National Pain Report would tell you that 
it, it's a, it's a, uh, and I hate to say this, but it's kind of a logical extension of, 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 uh, of that, of, of, of where folks are, because they really, really are. Uh, there's a sense of hopelessness that is, that is palpable and, and really disturbing. It is, Ed, and I felt that personally myself. There's been several occasions where I've been at the end of the rope. You know, the, uh, not literally, but uh, that's a bad, bad uh, turn of phrase there. But I've been there as well, where where you know you're in such terrible pain, and it it just feels like it's going to last forever, and you can't escape it. And then you turn to the one place where you're supposed to get help, and then you're treated like um, you know like you're an addict, or you're treated like you're a criminal even though you've done nothing um, to violate any kind of law. Right. Well, and I think that the, 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 the whole opioid emphasis has been misdirected and, and, or, or aimed, it's been aimed at the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that there are, and, and I would guess this is true, millions of chronic pain patients who are using opioid medication as a way to uh, get through the day. Right. Um, and they may be using them daily. They may be using them uh, as needed, uh, et cetera. But, uh, uh, but, but, and, and some percentage, and it's a small percentage, most say probably have an addiction issue with, with, with the opioids. But the difference mm-hmm. between dependence and, and addiction, uh, it, and, and the, and the fact that the healthcare, um, uh, policymakers haven't really made that distinction. If, if I'm depending on, opioid medication in order to be able to get through the day. And the day for me means I can I can work at my job, I can raise my kids, I can just have a better quality of life. Um I'm no addict. And right. um and and the the, the 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 distinction of folks who who of the policymakers who have who have made this into an addiction argument uh has betrayed millions of chronic pain patients. And uh we're one part of what uh what I try to do editorially is to is to keep making the case that um, and and, I, and by the way I think the media have by and large begun to hear this mm-hmm. that the chronic pain patient uh, has been an has been a uh, the unintended consequence that, I think, of the of the anti opioid folks has been to to punish many many chronic pain people chronic pain patients and I, it's just. Uh, um, you know, until until there's some sort of a balance that's worked out, and I do think slowly that ship is beginning to turn, but but very slowly and too slowly for some. I get it. Um, yeah. That that um, that you know that maybe maybe we can uh, we can become sensible about this again because we plainly are not sensible right now. That is that is definitely true, and I was going to ask you about that the changing media coverage. My personal take on it is that. This was all ginned up to kick, kick loose a lot of taxpayer dollars. And I know that's a very cynical, maybe conspiratorial type of idea. But at the same time, there were $6 billion that the president has allocated for uh, mostly addiction treatment. Uh, $1.1 billion was allocated for um, an opioid uh, vaccine, which I think is insanity. And a bunch of stuff to like the prescription drug management program, or I'm sorry, prescription drug um, tracking programs, the ones that track all the, the drugs that people are taking. And so I think there was a lot of money that, that got spread around. And now finally the media is saying, well, maybe we went too far. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, 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 I 
I probably am not quite as cynical as you are, but but I, <laughs> I'm not. But nor nor do I think you're necessarily on the wrong track. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to know what's going on, follow the money, right? That, right. that, that takes us back to what Watergate or you know or or Capone or something. But but uh, um, so so I mean, there there I think that the 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 um, the addiction forces uh, certainly were were have have benefited from this. I want to tell you a quick story. I I got a I got a I got a I got a call uh, out of the blue. I was up in Montana visiting my uh, my daughter, and um, um, and I got a call from a guy in Missouri, and he was the head of an addiction um, hospital, I guess you know addiction mm-hmm. center, and he said to me, he says, "Can I write a piece for you?" And I said. Sure. What? What? I'm. Mean, you know. It's. What do you? What do you? What do you? What are you thinking about? He says, I'm getting an awful lot of people coming into my place that aren't addicts. They're chronic wow. pain patients. And and he says, I I don't. I, I I'm not. I shouldn't be treating them. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not people that I I I should be treating. Um, they need help other than what I can give. So you've got a guy running an addiction hospital. He happened to be in Missouri, who essentially wrote a piece saying that you know we got this all wrong. And and his business, I'm sure, was was booming. So 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 to me, this is the the the, the overreach has been. And let's face it, the chronic pain community is is not well organized. Um, right. it, it's it is made it, it, it and and I and I I, I I marvel at how not well organized it is, given the fact that there is there is this challenge that's facing them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, honestly, Brad, if you if you just sort of think about it for a second, it's like. How do we get the how do we get the the water going in the different direction here and mm-hmm. and get people talking about the fact that chronic pain patients people who legitimately are in, in are in chronic intractable pain or intractable chronic pain mm-hmm. or who, who maybe are not in intractable pain but still need uh, opioid medication in order to get through the day as we as we talked about earlier um, mm-hmm. have essentially been left out of the debate. Now, last week, I thought Cindy Steinberg of the U.S. Pain Foundation did a real good job in front of the U.S. Senate talking about it. I think mm-hmm. if you follow the NIH uh, uh, draft of their of their new how do we treat pain in the United States, you, you, you've seen a moderation to the anti-opioid fever that was gripping the country a couple of years ago. Still a long way to go, to be sure. And still, I think when people talk about opioids, they think they think about addiction and addicts and and people dying and all that kind of stuff from it. Uh, but but I, I think that if if some reasonableness is beginning to return to the debate, and I think it is, then hopefully that will that will transfer to to all of the states of the union. Right. Because, you know, one of the things that that I mean, I'm talking to a, a friend the other day and and uh, and and made the point that there's no U.S. pain policy. There are 50 pain policies in the in the in the country. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like what's going on in Oregon with the with the uh, forced taper of Medicaid patients, uh, is a desert. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like in California, uh, where I live, uh, where where getting pain medication is is not uh, as onerous as it is in some other states. It's still a reasonable process. Mm-hmm. So and 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 a lot of that has, has, I think has to do with 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 um, you know how how state policymakers are 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 making their policy and how some have overreacted to the CDC guidelines um, and others are in fear of the DEA and mm-hmm. still others are just ignorant. That's true. That's 
And I'm glad you're you're getting the word out about that. And we talked, you just mentioned the DEA, and I think that's missed in the debate as well. Personally, I believe that drug prohibition can never work. And I think it causes a lot of unintended, terrible consequences for folks. And when we, uh, you know, I even use the word opioid crisis. Personally, I don't think there's an opioid crisis. I think there's an overdose crisis within a certain community. And that community is forced to go to the black market to buy drugs. And with the, the black market, you get adulterated drugs, you get counterfeit ones. And I think that the media is conflating the um, the issues with overdose death and the issue of prescribing drugs by doctors. Uh, what would you say to the people who say that it's the doctors and the pain patients' fault that we currently have this terrible overdose epidemic? Well, let's 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 go back to to. I mean, let's be honest about this. If you go back to the beginning, um, the when when OxyContin was was introduced, there was uh, doctors were being told, "Don't worry about it; it's not addictive." So, so a, a generation of doctors got into some bad prescribing, um, and it was some bad, bad, bad prescribing habits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other, the other thing is that that um, we've we've seen. I think it's 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 fairly well known now that even though as opioid prescriptions have dropped off, uh, overdose deaths, et cetera, are not dropping off, and that's that's more, I think, to your point of 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 folks who who are who are finding um fentanyl and and other kinds of and other kinds of uh of of of, of alternatives um and uh are 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 ODing on them because you know those are the folks that's that small percentage of of addicts that we're talking about mm-hmm. for the real pain patient and uh, and let's not forget for the real millions of of pain patients mm-hmm. um the, the 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 doctor Relationship has been has been frayed by the by the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for but but I guess by the onerous nature of of, of the DEA and, right. and the and the CDC. I mean I, I think the mm-hmm. CDC guidelines, even though they were optional, everybody everybody saw them as the Ten Commandments, and right. uh, uh, and and so and began to and began to enforce that way. And then the DEA came along, and and you talk about conflation. And and um, and and so you, you you create this this crisis. And the other thing about the media, and you're talking to a guy who, you know, runs a small news operation that's dedicated to chronic pain, mm-hmm. worked in television news in Los Angeles for for years. Um, the media sometimes get a little lazy, and okay. so and and so the the story is is the story that's fed them. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, I think the addiction angle, or excuse me, the addiction forces uh, have have fed the anti opioid story. Uh, way better than the chronic pain community was able to answer. I, I would agree with that. I think there is um, the addiction in this. I wanted to, to 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 make clear too, Ed. I think everybody, whether they are chronically ill or they have um, what Dr. Klein calls is a chemical receptor disease, um, what everybody calls addiction. I think they call it that themselves. Those who have it, um, mm-hmm. that they that everybody should be treated uh, compassionately, and that that I think everybody is getting kind of the short end of the stick um, with the way everything is coming down. So the one thing I wanted to ask you, do you see a lot of that on Twitter, the um, the chronic pain patients versus the addiction community or even the chronic pain patients versus the doctors? And I would, I would argue that it should be um, everybody uniting against, not against, but working with uh, the ones who are actually writing the laws. And to get them changed on that end instead of arguing amongst ourselves. 
Well, I think that's what I think your prescription is is exactly right. And, um, um, you know, I think you, you, you're, I, I think you're starting to see, as I mentioned earlier, some moderation in the sort of, uh, anti-opioid tone. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, but to me, I mean, I, I think when you limit, I mean, and this is going to be heresy to some folks, but okay. when you limit this just to an opioid argument, you forget that there are just any numbers of ways to deal with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And I, and I say this because Terry, Terry Lewis, um, who, uh, PhD, who has been conducting a, a study, and by the way, would, would hope folks have, have filled out the study. It's the largest study of, of, uh, of chronic pain patients, uh, that we think has ever been undertaken. There's over 3,000 people have, that have now, uh, answered it, and she's going to use that as a way to formulate some, some data. I think they're going to be very interesting to, uh, to policymakers. Mm-hmm. And she told me the other day that that in the in in the uh, there's there's a part of the survey where what have you tried? And there are 264 different things that she's noted that okay. people have tried to do with chronic with, to to address their chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And and I think that and I think that the the the, the feds get this. Uh, mm-hmm. The trouble is is that you know if if acupuncture doesn't work, it doesn't work. Exactly. If physical therapy doesn't help. It doesn't help, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but that doesn't that 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 doesn't mean that somebody should only be on on uh, uh, on opioid medication. But it does mean that 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 we need to have a better education of of how to treat pain being taught in medical school, being happening in in, in hospitals, uh, uh, and 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 that education I think is incumbent not only on the medical community but also on on the on the on the insurance community. Which mm-hmm. often doesn't cover many of the alternatives that that people can have, um, and and so the result of that is you're you're sort of left with 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 one or two options, right? And and then if 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 one of the options is is uh, uh, is opioids, and then suddenly they're cracking on the supply, and there's no alternative to that. Right. And to me, that's the biggest that's the biggest sham of this entire thing. Is like mm-hmm. okay, let's say let's say for argument's sake that that fewer people should be on opioids. Okay. What should they be on then? What could we be doing to treat the chronic pain? And Mm -hmm. it, they've made this into a binary, either you're on opioids or you're not. And Mm -hmm. there's no, no, no sense of what ought to be happening to folks who, who may want to not be on opioids, but can't get any other um, uh, covered benefit uh, on their insurance or don't have any other way to uh, treat their pain other than opioids. And that to me is, that to me is where this debate has just gone off the rails. And it's not really a debate; it's really a harangue. And and uh, and hopefully now we start to see maybe some some reasonableness being returned to it. Now you talked about you know it it does feel like it's a top down decision in that um, individuals are looked at as statistics by those in power, and that they try to put out these broad guidelines that are supposed to apply to everybody. But uh, but I believe that everybody is so different and you're even different day to day about how sure. especially your pain is and I think it's a great point to try everything. I think individuals should have on the table uh what works just like your diet. I believe that you know everybody's so different with diet. It's what works for you specifically. Totally. I think I think that um I think that it's an individual kind of thing and we're we're trying to uh we're trying to fix it with a one size fits all um uh, prescription, and in this case, the prescription is to essentially not give them a prescription and give them nothing right. else instead. And and that to me is is just 
just wrong. I mean, it's just wrong at every, at every level. And when you and when you when you peel it away, forgetting for a minute the prop folks and the and the people who are the anti opioids um, pro, well, I guess that opioids are addictive and only addictive. Mm-hmm. Forgetting them for a minute. When you when you talk to other folks, you talk to doctors who are hamstrung because their insurers won't let them do this, or their or their health system is worried about uh, too much scrutiny if too many opioids are prescribed. They mm-hmm. they they will tell you that they feel helpless. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. Now, a, a lot of these same doctors aren't well schooled enough in how to treat pain to to for for the alternatives that need to happen. And in fairness to them, often are seeing the patient for five or ten minutes at a time. And you know, as a as somebody who's chronically ill, Brad, you know that uh, you know uh, you've got to be able to to communicate with your doctor, and and there's some nuance to that communication when you're chronically ill because you have good days and bad days. Absolutely, and I think that's the one thing uh, I've been in pain management, and uh, I've decided to stop that just because you know I'm tired of being treated like a criminal that I have to go in like uh, I'm a I've been convicted of a crime and treated like I'm on probation. So, uh, you know, peeing in a cup, being forced to go once a month, being forced to go to the same pharmacy, I think that adds to people who are already suffering the idea that you don't have any power, that your body is already betraying you, and now you're being treated like it's your fault somehow and that you're the reason why, you know, this opioid crisis is happening. I think that's the message that a lot of pain patients are starting to push against. Well, I think that's right. But I think the other thing, my, my other counsel to pain patients is that we're not going to go back to the good old days. Right. And, um, and that I think one of the things that, that everybody in the, in the, in the pain, um, community needs to understand, and I think probably at some level does, uh, is, is that, um, you know, the world, the world is now forever changed by this, by this, uh, opioid controversy. The question is, what's it going to ultimately change to? Right. And um, uh, and I and and I think we're in the midst of seeing that happen. And, and and the people I worry about are the people who are who just have who are just at the end of their rope, and right. and who who have said, "Boy, I don't want to do this anymore." And um, uh, and you, when you talk to them, and I talk to them from time to time, not all the time. I hear from them a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but I talk to them once in a while, and it's and it's like you you know you got to hang in there, and right. uh, as 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 best you can because you know it feels like. That that um, some reasonableness is starting to to seep back into the discussion, but it's going to take a while uh, before before that happens. I mean, let's say let's say that the NIH um, uh, and, and 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 there's comments being taken on the NIH report, and I would encourage anybody who listens to this podcast to make sure that your voice is heard on that. Uh, you can, Definitely. you know, but but let's say the NIH comes with with a more moderate view, which it looks like they're leaning toward. Uh, on on the whole opioid prescription uh, model, mm-hmm. um, okay, so that that will be good. But you're not going to see that in, 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 with your doctor for months to years before before uh, before that starts to take place. And and I think that's the thing that that folks just need to understand is that is that to your point, Brad, that that everybody's pain is different, needs to be treated mm-hmm. different, and and as much as possible, if your own doctor can become somebody who he or she can listen to you and understand that, you know, the different places your pain is taking you, that may help them with helping you address it. But, uh, but uh, for folks to think that magically we're going to, we're going to roll back the clock 20 years, that's just not going to happen. And I, 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 that doesn't make me friends when I tell people that, but that's, that's just where we are. 
No, I, I totally agree. I think that um, we focus on the podcast of individualism versus collectivism and the idea that individuals have inherent rights. You know, that's something I deeply believe that we have the right to consume or not consume something. Uh, but it seems like that uh, most people don't believe that anymore, that it's uh, that we're uh, putting into the hands of politicians and bureaucrats and these interested parties like prop who are making who knows how many hundreds, maybe billions of dollars off of this issue, and that the individual choice is getting destroyed in the debate. No, there's no argument about that. I think that's I think the individual choice. Individual choice and individual rights have been have been um, abrogated uh, through this through this process. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. And I think that that those who and this is why um, I mean I think the U.S. Pain Foundation, which has had its own troubles lately, but but certainly is the largest of the of the organizations. And there have been a, a there are a variety of other small advocacy groups that have popped up that are that are trying to make a difference and to and to raise the issue, but. Um, yeah, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic that, that, uh, that, that this is going to, that there's going to be a wholesale systemic change about it. But I think individuals can, can, uh, continue to, to, um, uh, advocate for themselves or their loved ones, um, and, and, and hopefully make a difference. What do you, what do you do advise folks? Like you've seen this kind of get ramped up and you're seeing it turn a little bit. What do you think has led to that? Is it the personal stories being shared? Yes. Is it uh, contacting Congress? Well, I think I don't think Congress is hearing it much yet. Although I do think the U.S. Senate hearing the other day was was surprisingly positive. I, I, mm-hmm. I there's a, a fellow who I follow by the name of Red Lawhern who has uh, who has one of these advocacy groups that have been that have been formed, and he called it. I, I think he said it was it was it was moderately good for the chronic pain patient. But moderately good for the chronic pain patient in Congress is, is <laughs> by comparison, is a huge victory over the last several years, right? So, exactly. but but I think I think I think where people can advocate uh, for themselves with their doctors and their insurers, because I mm-hmm. don't don't forget the insurers are a big part of this, um, sure. and we we sometimes forget that that you know one of that they're they're a big part of the decision making process. Um, you know, I think that's helpful, and and then I think I I really believe the power of these. Of, of of groups on social media, um, you know, Facebook groups, uh, uh, organizations to follow on Twitter, you know, those are the kinds of things that that I think I would do if I if I were, um, and I'm not, but if I were a right. chronic pain patient facing the the challenges of of my opioid prescription being um, uh, reduced or eliminated, um, I would I would I would certainly uh, join that join that group. I mean, there are a variety of things going on. People are protesting. People are trying to bring uh, more, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 notoriety uh, and knowledge uh, to, to folks. But I mean, a good example is—I mean, I'm, and, and I'm sorry to, to blather on there, but a good example no is what's going on in Oregon. Okay. Um, so you've got you've got the Oregon Health Authority that essentially has said that they're going to force taper uh, everybody on Medicaid mm-hmm. for people. Right. Right. Um, or or people who 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 need some public assistance, if not poor people, um, off of opioids within a year. But there's but there's no alternative. Oh, yeah. We'll give you some acupuncture. We'll give you, you know, maybe some physical therapy, but no, no sense of 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 whether whether it works or not. And even even an opioid um, dove 
like like Beth Darn- like Dr. Beth Darnell of Stanford went to Oregon and said, you can't force taper people. You just can't. It doesn't work. You're punishing mm-hmm. them. This is not, you know, if people what if people want to get off opioids, and I have a very good friend of mine. I've been trying to talk him into 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 becoming a a, a, a member of our store, a story to do a story on him mm-hmm. uh, by who, who's had half a dozen, and I'm and this is a, an estimate on my part, but my guess is I'm not I'm not way high. Uh, half a dozen uh, back surgeries, and he he wanted to he wanted to voluntary taper um right. and see and see how he could do and has made unbelievable progress to reduce and he's a guy now in his 70s um wow. and and uh he's he now reduced the uh the amount of of uh medication that he's taken but he i mean he, it's 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 hard work and it's mm-hmm. something he wanted to do it's not right. something he was forced to do so this idea of forced tapering that's going on in Oregon is just just Inhuman. I mean, it's just, first of all, it's dumb public policy, and 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 then and then and then it's discriminatory because it discriminates right. against against uh, the poorer people who almost by definition don't have a voice, mm-hmm. um, and um, and and they're not really giving an alternative as to as to what what's going to happen to these folks who uh, who are uh, who 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 are being forced to 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 get off their medication uh, and. What's going to happen as a result? Do you think they're going to become more productive? Uh, I mean, that's it. This Probably is, not. As, a, fact, as an economic, social, and political, as you put the, the that measurement against it, this makes no sense. And yet, I fear that it's going to it's going to pass. And and part of that too is that those you know folks who, when you don't have any kind of option, when you're forced to taper. Are they going to turn to the black market? And that's going to increase overdoses, which this whole deal is supposed to be preventing. And one so thing I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, one thing it's not going to do, mm-hmm. it's not going to make them more productive as human right. beings. Sure. And, what, and, it, and I think to your point, it, it, you're right. It, 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 some, some probably will be forced to that. Others will just not be able to, to go to work, raise their kids, mm-hmm. do the right. things that you're, you're trying to do in order to, in order to make things happen. There are a couple of women up there I, I, who I, I'm just, I, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I say this with, with love, but I mean, I just, I just admire greatly, um, mm-hmm. who are, who are really trying to, to fight this and fight this off themselves. But, but honestly, the, 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 if, if, if the, if the weight of evidence, I mean, pain special, specialists from around the country have, have, have testified, have written in and said, guys, this is the wrong thing to do. This is just the wrong thing to do, and yet it hasn't stopped it. Well, then what's that about? Well, it's about money. It's right. about money. It's not about it's not about patient care. It's not about uh, whether whether it's a humanitarian or or even a medical issue. This is just about money, mm-hmm. and and these people are being are 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 well, are not yet being, but they may soon be just be be forced to uh, you know untether themselves from things that are keeping them tethered to to the rest of us, and that's. That's very disturbing to me. It is, definitely. I think forcing people, um, you know, into the black market is one of the the worst things that can happen because I've considered it myself. I've not done it. But then then the the decision-making tree is terrible. You're like, first of all, you know, because I don't know anybody who who is in that world, and so you have to start um, associating with the criminal element. Then you have to take risk not only for yourself but 
anybody who's around you as well, because property can be seized if they find just a little bit of illegal substances. And so it's this cascade of terrible effects that can happen. And, and I would argue that, that most that are going to be affected by this won't do that. Right. They're just going to become less and less productive. Mm-hmm. And because they're not going to be able to get out of bed or they're, or they're going to have right. r- real bad days and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that to me is just like, I mean, from a, from a social scientist point of view. So how's that helping? <laughs> it, I, I read somewhere that said that politicians like easy fights against people who can't defend themselves. Yeah, maybe. But if, if so, then the, then the Oregon policymakers have, have done this. I, I, <laughs> I've tried to, I've tried, I mean, I, I laugh out of not humor, but more out of just memory of, of, of trying to do some interviews with elected officials up there and they want no part of this. Wow. They, the, the nuance, the nuance of, of what can happen with this policy is absolutely lost on them. Um, uh, because the, a lot of those elected officials have, have, have decided opioids are, are the, the, the bane of our existence and the source of all evil. And, uh, so, so when you change the narrative a little bit to say, yeah, but not for everybody. And in fact, a lot of people use them in order to be able to get to work, to be able to raise their kids, to be able to have a, have a life that they can, that they can enjoy. Um, that, that ruins the narrative. Well, no, 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 they're, they're all addicts. No, sorry, they're not all addicts. In fact, most of them aren't addicts. A lot of them are dependent on it, but most of them aren't addicts. And, and that distinction is, is continuing to be the thing that holds it back. Now, I, I will say that, that, that the, the Oregon and Montana is another place where, where the, where the, they, they're calling it a pain desert. And that's where the Pfeiffers live that I, that I mm-hmm. talked about. Uh, uh, you and I both talked about a little earlier in the program. Uh, mm-hmm. some, some of some of those states are just seem to be bereft of any of any common sense um, in in terms of y- there's a because there's a yeah but in anything you do right right <laughs> and the yeah Everything. but is, yeah but but a lot of people are are using these medications in order to in order to live their lives what are you going to do for them instead and nobody's nobody's asking much less answering that question. Yeah, definitely. You talked about common sense, and I think it's about compassion as well. It seems like we've been told that the people in power are supposed are are doing this out of compassion, but it seems like the end results are a lot of time the opposite of that. Now, you talked about women advocating. I've I've noticed on Twitter where it's probably at least like eighty twenty as far as women goes to men who are advocating for for chronic pain patients. Have you seen that as well in your work? Well, I'll see that also in my audience. Be real mm-hmm. honest with you. I have way okay. more women uh, reading the National Pain Report than men. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons for that, right? Women are women are are more likely to get chronic pain, mm-hmm. and women also still, even in the in this in this in these days of uh, of, of equal rights and both spouses working, which is you know a, a, a relative, I mean, a generational change over the last two generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, women are still the are still the the the, the gatekeeper for healthcare in their house, so so um, so I've got I, between women who are patients and women who are advocates for their family because there's chronic pain in their family. Uh, so yeah, I, I see a I, it's a it's a I, three to one is 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 the is the number I've been using with my audience, and I and I haven't really done any math on the Twitter stuff, but I would I'll bet it's about the same there. Yeah, definitely. I, I've been, I, I've definitely noticed that. And I saw in the statistics too, like you talked about, 
that it's women usually, you know, probably over the age of 40. And yep. and then older folks are the ones who experience chronic pain the most, it seems yep. like. That's exactly well, they they I think. And it's because they've been I mean, to your point, right, you've mm-hmm. you've had chronic pain for 30 years. Right. You know, so so there 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 are folks that 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 were I mean the chronic pain is years and years and years of of enduring suffering, um, trying to trying to balance out their their lives and stuff. So yeah, no, but but uh, but yeah, to your point, I I see I see a lot more women than than men uh, in the deal. Now, as far as you're a journalist, you're still a journalist. Um, I think the use of language is vitally important when looking at. Uh, these kind of mass movements, it seems like, that words that are supposed to be scientific are actually not. And so when people talk about, uh, you know, in the CDC reports about, uh, like, legitimate versus non-legitimate pain, or there's a lot of subjectiveness, it seems to this, about, like, with dependence or physical dependency, there's a lot of terms that they throw out which are really not medically testable. Uh, what do you think about how the use of language fuels something like this? Well, I think I, I'm I won't pretend to be an expert on 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 the linguistics of this issue, but I do mm-hmm. think that I do think that conflation of addiction and dependence um, has has occurred. So if you if you're depending on on um, uh, if you, if you're if you're depending on on uh, oxycontin to, to name one uh, to help you know, get you through the day, then there are a bunch of people who think you're an addict. Right. Um, and, um, so, so I, I, I think that we, I, I think that the, 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 the ignorance that, that exists in this issue, uh, exists because, uh, people, and by the way, this is true, I think of American politics writ large is that people are lazy or, and sometimes <laughs> they only hear what they want to hear. Right. And, and, um, you know, that's true of, the right and the left, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and there are very few places where where people can go and 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 and, and as I, I, I and this is this describes my own politics as well, but where the radical middle can 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 actually uh, can actually make things happen because I think that's uh, I think that's one of the things that's that's one of the things we got to work on as a democracy in the next generation or so. Maybe the millennials can change it for us, but uh, is to is to have a more reasonable debate. So I'm not sure whether it's the language or not, although I think that contributes to it. But mm-hmm. I think that the biggest problem is that there's no middle ground here. It's either right. you're for them or you're against them. And I, I I tried to write a piece one day about this, and I and I and I couldn't make it make any sense. I mean, I but but to me, it's like there's there's uh, anybody who says it's only opioids, I think is is intellectually dishonest. As people who say that everybody ought to be off. Right. I think that there's I think there's a variety of ways for. For people to 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 get at their chronic pain, I'm not saying for a minute that people who 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 believe they need the opioids are 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 um, are lying about that because that's not. I'm please, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying right. that there is some 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 things that can happen uh, in in the great middle where people can learn. Hey, this helps. That helps. And that helps. And and hey, doc, what can I do to make sure that those three or four things are part of my uh, part of my routine? So, I mean, I'll give you an example. Everybody knows, I mean, it is physiologically true that the more exercise you get, the better you feel. And uh, and that is particularly true when you're in pain. 
And mm-hmm. of course, well, how do you expect me to get up and, and to do anything? Well, I don't know. But that's part. That's part. That's part of the gig too, right? So, right. so that's what I'm saying is that the, the great middle, the great middle of this debate has been lost, um, and I and I think it's been hijacked by the by the anti opioid folks, and and hijacked in a way that's hurting chronic pain patients every day. Yeah, definitely. I would totally agree with that. Uh, what, what would you say as far as the prescription drug monitoring program? Have you dug into that at all? A little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think this is back to your. This is back to, you know, the the the, the public policy piece, right? Right. Is is um, it is. What are we trying to find out? Right. What are, What are we really trying to find out? Because you know, you go into a hospital. I was just in a hospital for about three weeks, oh. and 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 it, and and I had a surgery and had some serious complications, so I had kind of a tough tough go. And they have that pain scale in the in the thing, one to ten. And right. I just laugh. And, and and if if I and I there were a couple of times I was really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so the the nurse said to me, "Well, what's your what would you what's the number of your pain?" I said, "I don't know, six or seven. Well, mm-hmm. it's got to be higher than that in order for you to get medication." Oh, well, geez. thinking to myself, "Okay, then what, what what's the number? Seven point five. Seven point five is fine." So <laughs> so you get this you get this this kind of what are we doing here? You know, mm-hmm. this is there's an individual thing. I mean, I think it's up to doctors and patients and insurers to to sort of get on the same page about this thing. And so when you when these this drug monitoring thing talks about consumption, okay, mm-hmm. I, I I get that. And mm-hmm. and it talks about how many prescriptions are being written. Okay, I get that. So what does it mean? Right. Is, is 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 ten too many and eight's not enough? And right. I think that that I think that because because pain has been so undertreated. And and it's so and it's and it and there's so much ignorance in the medical community that I'm not sure what any of this data really mean uh, in the in the in the palace of truth to 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 how we're going to get uh, how we're going to make sure that 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 we treat people with chronic pain better than they're being treated now. Definitely. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, it does. That's yeah. kind of where that takes me. Is like sure. the, the the data are good. It's good to grab mm-hmm. gap data. I know everybody wants that, but what does it mean, really? You know, I mean, right. if I mean, it, the, you were talking about suicide earlier, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a and, and a lot of the folks say that if 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 somebody commits suicide, and there I don't say I, let, let me be careful how I say this. Right. There, there are there are there there is a, a perception among among some who are pro chronic pain patients mm-hmm. that if you are taking opioids and you wind up committing suicide, they it's turned into an overdose. Right. May not be an overdose at all. Exactly. You know, may not be right. an overdose at all. And uh, and that so so I, I I think until until people of goodwill are are saying here's the data that we need to that we need to have, mm-hmm. and and here's what we need to understand from that data. I still feel like it's being sort of twisted and used for whatever the person's point of view is, and that to me is intellectually dishonest. I can definitely see that. I. Personally, I think I'm not a huge fan of, of surveillance on me about what I do. And, um, you know, they're already my take is they're already looking at the doctor anyway, you know, with the, the DEA number. And and now they're going after the patient. And and I was reading about um, you talked about the prop people. They were combing through this pre- prescription uh, drug monitoring program from a bunch of different states. And I'm thinking, who has the right to do that? That to me is is something that I would feel like that's a violation of my privacy, 
if uh, it's only it's it's not just the government, but now it's a third party. And then, you know, who else is going to get that information? And for what purpose? Like you talked about, what are they going to be using it for? Well, if, and if we can have an agreement on what we want to try to find out from the data right. and, and how it can. But 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 remember, I'm I'm coming from a place and you are, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're both coming from a place of so. So let's use the data for what is best for the chronic pain patient. And other folks are using the data to say, how do I how do I drive more um, addiction business into my into my area, or how do I just squeeze the supply of opioids down to to nothing so people can't get them? Um, and that which is kind of the DEA point of view, right? I mean, <laughs> right. It, it, yeah. you know. So so you've got you've got a I mean that may be unfair to say the DEA would probably argue with that. And I get that, but I mean at the same time it's kind of like, hey. You know, this is this is kind of where this this um, this debate has become is like uh, whose ox is being gored, and right. and uh, the one the one thing that to me is that if there was an honest broker in this in this thing, and it ought to be the federal government, uh, or or maybe maybe it, maybe it's going to be a state government that can teach mm-hmm. other state governments how to do this, okay. and that's where what one of the things is that is I'd love to see one of the one of the more enlightened states to come up with a pain policy. That mm-hmm. says this is how we're going to treat pain here in the state of fill in your favorite state, mm-hmm. um, and 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 let that teach other states. And and you know and that and that you have you have a healthcare uh, aspect to it. You've got a financial aspect to it. Uh, you've got an access aspect to it. There's a lot of stuff that that can be that can be uh, plugged in there. And and maybe you know ideally, I mean, in my and when I when I when I when I sit and hope for things, that's the kind of thing is that I think maybe some some very enlightened state might be able to change this debate by saying, hey, this is working right now. And uh, and here's the data that we're capturing um, and and it's showing us X. But, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, this is not going to not going to happen fast, I'm afraid. I think it is a really complicated issue, like you said, where it has a bunch of different factors involved. And you mentioned the DEA, and their their plan is to cut opioid prescriptions by a third in the next few years. And that, to me, is just, it's extremely arbitrary. And then in the literature, when you read what they're saying, they're saying that uh, they want to make sure, you know, quote, unquote, you know, legitimate uses are are carried out but at the same time it's supposed to be doctors who are the ones you know supposed to be making that decision yeah and i think i think this is back to the 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 where 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 this where this fails the test for me everywhere is that there still isn't a strategy on how to deal with chronic pain mm-hmm. um it is it's it's hijack and, and by the way the the opioid the opioid argument is is one, but you know the interventional pain folks they they they've got their their point of view as well. Mm-hmm. I mean there 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 are a lot of different there are a lot of different um, uh, uh, voices in this choir. But right. but one of the things is that is that is that the arbitrary of taking using your DEA number of uh, reducing prescriptions by a third. Okay, because why? Because somebody decided that was the right number. Mm-hmm. Or is it is it is it really what we need to do? Or is it is it is a is a third of the prescriptions going to people who are overusing them, which is kind of what that implies, right? Mm-hmm. And gotcha. and uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'd like to see the data on that. <laughs> well, that's a good point. You bring up data because when you start digging into the numbers that everybody is um, is regurgitating in the media, there's some serious issues with the data, especially with the CDC. They've actually come out and said that they've They've um, misrepresented or I think in my case lied 
about the uh, the prescription opioid part of the um, what they call the opioid crisis. Have you seen like with the statistics? It seems like people play pretty fast and loose with those, and even the methodology about how they how they come to those decisions. Once you start digging back through it, it seems like there's always problems with the data that they're trying to sell as 100% true. Yeah, well, I think that's because they're running up the every, every look. The, the 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 solution to this is is complex but yet kind of simple. You mm-hmm. got to get everybody around the table. Mm-hmm. And right now you're not. I mean, the DEA is not getting. They're not talking to docs. They're cracking down on docs. Right. Um, the, That's not the, a conversation, right? The, That's a one yeah, way deal. The insurers. I mean, it's not a. It's not a. So how do we? What's what's best for the pain patient? I mean, the pain societies uh, have have not been have not been speaking up. So. So if you in, until until you have a, a sort of an honest discussion, and 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 the the players and the payers are all around the table. Um, I don't know that that you're. I I I think what's going to happen, Brad, is you're going to continue to have these kinds of arbitrary goals that are being set by one piece of of the of the debate, which in this case is the DEA and the enforcement division. But that mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with with. What what docs are saying is needed are needed in the in the uh, in the treatment of chronic pain, uh, or or more importantly, what the system says is being is is needed in the treatment of chronic pain, because all the system's been talking about is reducing the supply of one thing that people use for chronic pain relief. Definitely, I think um, with with these types of issues, it seems like they focus on one inanimate thing to to demonize, and it feels like it's. Um, I talked to Dr. Klein about this, that we um, personally think it's it's almost like a religious type of response to something. This is of the devil, and we need to cast it out. And in order to be pure, you can't take any of it. Yeah, and I think that's and I think that that and I think that argument, I think everybody that comes to the table has has their own devil to 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 cast out. And, right. and until you get it sort of, I mean, this is like, you know, this is the, the, the argument you see in, in American politics is can we at least agree on the facts? And if we can agree on the facts, then maybe we can get to something that's uh, where, where it's going. And if if your fact is opioids are the are the are the bane of our existence. And, and my fact is that the that the opioids play a role in helping chronic pain people treat their lives. Well, <laughs> I mean. Let, let's say at the very least, somewhere in between there is probably where the truth is, right? We can, we can yeah, at least talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah well, I'm saying is that I think, think, and I think the folks, I think the NIH is trying. I, I, okay. I think that, that at the end of the day, I'm not sure what, if any, uh, impact it's going to have, but they mm-hmm. they seem to be trying, and that's why I, I think it's so important for folks to make sure that they uh, engage in the public comment period, uh, which I think expires on the first of April. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I've been taking Kratom recently. I don't know, actually for the last year and a half, I don't know if you've uh, researched that at all or, or looked into that, but uh, the DEA, the FDA and the DEA tried to ban Kratom in 2016, but right. they received 140,000 comments from people. And so they stopped the emergency uh, schedule one uh, listing right. of it. And uh, and I recently actually spoke in front of the Georgia legislation uh, legislators, uh, safety risk committee on Kratom, and people are really responsive if you're face to face with them. And I think uh, your point about getting involved in the political process is is really important. Are you seeing with um, 
with the pain folks, the advocacy groups, are you seeing um, them coalescing or who would you say is the number one, two or three player in that space? Well, I'd say the U.S. Pain Foundation has the largest, has the largest population. Okay. Um, and, um, and, and it was their, um, advocacy person that spoke at the Senate, uh, for the Senate last week. Okay. But, but they, but they are not large enough, uh, or influential enough yet. Maybe they'll get that way, uh, to, to be able to, um, uh, to, to impact this, this debate. Although I, I will say that Cindy Steinberg, um, did a, I thought just a, a great job of, 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 of humanizing the chronic right. pain uh, story for folks, and um, uh, so so the but 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 by and large, and this is kind of what I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. There are these shards of 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 groups that have popped up who who are um, uh, independent uh, okay. of each other, uh, aren't working together necessarily. There's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ego involved among them. So there, there is not there. There, if 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 these folks all coalesce into into one into one group, mm-hmm. um, they they'd be making a lot of noise. But but they're but that's just not the their personality is not that way. Sometimes they fight amongst each other. To be real mm-hmm. candid with you, and and right. um, I think hold it back. It's one of the things I've kind of scratched my head about as to how to how to report on it, how to encourage mm-hmm. it. Is there an advocacy organization, maybe a new one that can be that can be born and and. Um, uh, that that might have that in mind of you know how do we unite the varying voices and there are and they are varying voices uh, mm-hmm. in the chronic pain in the chronic pain world but uh, as of yet I think that I think that the the, the lack of cohesion uh, in the community and that by the way this may be the nature of the beast you know I mean right. there, may, there may be nothing you can do about it but mm-hmm. that lack of cohesion in the community I think is really is, is held back uh, or certainly doesn't help. Uh, mm-hmm. Any 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 uh, any efforts to try to to put some reason, reasonableness into this discussion, and sometimes even holds it back and makes it feel like it's even more chaotic and more hopeless than uh, than maybe it really is. Yeah, I I can definitely see that when you're in pain and suffering, you know, it's hard to. I look at it like you're defending a castle wall, right? That y- right. you have only so much energy to push back against the pain. And that anything extra that you do, you have to take defenders off your wall. And so the pain just continues to eat away at you. And it, it, it's hard to do new things, let alone create something new and to reach out to folks when you're, you know, it's like if you corner an animal, what do they do, right? That's the same kind of idea that, you know, a lot of times rational thinking is not the easiest thing to do when you're when you're laid up in pain, but, uh, I definitely, let me, let me add one other thing to it. I think that the chronic pain community is by and large poorer than the American, uh, community as a whole. I think Mm -hmm. that there could, because you've got a lot of folks that are disabled, you know, a lot of folks who are unable to work. You've got a lot of people who can't work full time. So I think you've got a, I think there's an economic disadvantage that, that, that the pain community has, uh, by and large, that is, um, that is that is also holding it back, and I, I mean I, I say that with respect, but I, sure. I also that that's that's kind of what I've I've come to the conclusion of is that and that part of that is that is it you know you know if 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 I charge five dollars a month for the national pain report, um, mm-hmm. my audience would shrink remarkably, and uh, right. so that's you know I, I I know that from from knowing the audience. That's a great point because I myself have, have um, experienced, you know, economic downturn 
because of pain, because, you know, it does wear you down and, you know, you're not producing as much as you'd like, you know, definitely. Um, that's, that's in my case. Uh, I, think, you, I think, I think by, and, and Brad, I think just to, to, to make my point maybe better than I made it before. And by and large, I think it holds back the community from becoming a community because, yes. because then it's like, Hey, let's all meet in Denver and we can raise hell with the Colorado legislature. Well, I can't, I, I'm in too much pain or I can't afford it or both. Uh, is, is often the, uh, what happens. I mean, I, I, I will tell you that we'll ask for people to fill out surveys, uh, for, to, to try to influence one government or another, and we'll get people complaining. Well, how do you expect me to do that? Well, oh, dude, wow. I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you can't do that, then I, I'm guessing you're not going to get up and go to your state capitol and start, and start, uh, buttonholing a, a legislator either, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I think yeah. there is a, a level of individual responsibility too, um, yep on the side of people, no matter what they're doing, whether they're suffering from pain or, or whatever you're doing in life. I, I do think that's an important uh, part of this as well. But the, the economic part, I'd never thought about that. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, I think about that that's, uh, and that's something that, that Terry Lewis's survey was finding. She, she's got, she's got responses from people in all 50 states. Okay. And, um, uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's a big survey. And she says, you know, one of the things that, that that just jumps out at you is that this is an economically disenfranchised group by and large not everybody mm-hmm. but by and large and and as as a group and so that then you know that's another i mean you know why is Oregon picking on the Medicaid population first exactly you know? yeah it's almost like a trial balloon to see if people will put up with it or or it's because they don't expect any pushback i will tell you that 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 if you're not paying attention to what's going on with the Oregon uh in the Medicaid I'll, I'll let me let me put it another way mm-hmm. i think every state's watching to see if Oregon Oregon gets away with this gotcha yep i i i would agree with that i didn't yep i bet you're right you were talking about the enlightened states um speaking up but it, it sounds like the ones that are in the dark ages are the ones actually um setting precedent isn't and isn't it interesting that the state of Oregon uh was once and not only enlightened, but but was way ahead of the enlightened race, and and uh, there was a time where where the where the Oregon Health Authority was really was sort of at the at the at the at the head of the race. Now they uh, now now they're they're the only race they're leading is a race to the bottom. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, uh, Ed, I really appreciate your time on this. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, I know we've just about gone over the hour. Uh, I well, think we've talked no, a... The only thing is, is, is we, we, we enjoy the, the when, when people have an idea of what we ought to be covering or things we ought to be talking about the National Pain Report, we welcome um, emails either to editor at nationalpainreport.com or okay. just in our commentary section on stories. We pay attention to that. And because we're really trying to make sure that we're always evolving to capture the voice of the chronic pain community. Fantastic. Ed, what, real quick before I let you go. Um, have you heard anything about Kratom? Have you done any research on that or heard from oh, the sure. community no, on that? Of, we've done some stuff on Kratom, and I, and mm-hmm. I think to your point, it's that people. there are people who are using it who are finding great success with it mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and, <laughs> and want the government to keep their fingers off it. Definitely, and I would recommend, too, to everybody who's suffering chronic pain and wants to get involved in advocacy is to go to the American uh, Kratom Association even if you don't care about Kratom, to see how they've built a coalition of vendors and customers in order to make sure that every place that this is being uh, threatened on the state and federal level, they have lobbyists there. So that's maybe a model for the pain community, but uh, 
but you're getting the, uh, you know, the manu- the pharmaceutical manufacturers are getting sued. So they're not going to be involved with trying to help uh, the chronic pain community. But uh, that's that's probably for another another discussion there, Ed. Um, I really want to thank you for your time, and I encourage everybody to go to the National Pain Report. Check it out. If you know somebody who's in chronic pain or if you are and you're struggling, hang in there. Things can get better, and there are solutions out there. We just got to get together and uh, make our voice heard. So thank you very much for checking out our conversation, and Ed, thank you for being on. My pleasure. Thanks very much.